You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 193 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is late October. The World Series is happening as we speak. So uh, when you're listening to this, we, we actually have no idea what happened in Game 5 of the World Series. But joining me tonight to talk about the Atlanta Braves, for the most part, is Eric Cole. Hey, man. Hey, man. What's going on? It's been a little while. It has been. Uh, I dragged Scott um, since he deleted, it says he uh, deserted us for Game 5. Um, I dragged him out of the uh, out of the abyss, I suppose, to record last week, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it's been you know like two plus weeks for me and you. Um, it's, a, it's a weird phrase to call Arizona, but you know it's you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll refer to Arizona as the abyss from now on. But no, um, yeah, not not a ton going on in Braves country. We uh, teased this last week on the show, um, but for the most part, unless there is big time news, we're going to spend the large chunks of the next few podcasts on like positional review so today's gonna be the bullpen we'll talk about the bullpen um for the most part on today's podcast but before we get to that a couple of newsy items to touch on i think the biggest one for me is the gold glove finalists came out and uh, this does not necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things and gold gloves are often perilous uh in terms of who actually wins these awards but a couple of guys were nominated as finalists and they, they are ozzy albies at second base and josh donaldson at third base both guys i think have a chance to win I don't think I would pick either one of them just as a caveat here to actually win or to be deserving to win I think Donaldson is closer to being deserving but yeah we'll see but what what, what are your thoughts on this you know neither one of these guys actually have a gold glove to this point it actually kind of surprised me that Donaldson didn't have one in his past anywhere but um both these guys have their uh, have a chance to win their first one so that kind of matters I guess well, I mean, Donaldson has having to, was having to deal with Machado in the American League for like the and bulk. And of now he has Nolan Arenado. <laughs> yeah, now he, yeah. I mean, third base is just notoriously tough. Um, I, I agree with you that Donaldson's. I mean, first of all, these are the two most deserving candidates. The possible exception of if like of Julio on the mound. You know what I mean? Because he got he was a finalist last year. He, yeah, he's he, usually he, in the mix. Yeah, you know, a little bit surprising he didn't get it. But you know, Dansby would have had a chance if you know he had you know hadn't missed so much time, but. You know, the again, he probably wouldn't be a favorite there anyway. No. Um, you know, and Ozzy's a, a very good defensive second baseman, but Colton Wong has a lot of things going right for him in that regard too. So, you know, I wouldn't be like completely shocked if one of those guys got it. Yeah. Um, but and I think it's gonna be it's tougher since Gold Gloves are kind of voted on. I mean, Arenado's already won six in a row, right? You know, what I mean, and he didn't do anything this year that makes you think he was falling off. And Donaldson doesn't have like a, a like a, such a massive lead anywhere. Make you think that, you know, he would be 
supremely more deserving. So I think Arenado is the pretty clear favorite. But, but, but Donaldson has a, has a decent case. You know, he you know he leads in defensive runs saved. I haven't looked at uh, outs above average on Statcast, which you know seems. I mean, I imagine it wouldn't be like super. You know, one way or the other there. Uh, same thing for Ozzy. You know, it's it's a tough race, I think. But you know, I think that neither of the Braves are particularly favorites. But but Nick Markakis was not named a finalist, which is you know. You know, it gives me some hope in the award. Uh, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't see like Acuna as a guy that was going to get, going to get it. He, you know, has those highlight reel players, but also has those ones that make you scratch your head. And you know, outfield's just going to be really tough anyway. So, no, like, nothing glaring. Freddie maybe not getting a, being a finalist at first base is maybe a little weird, but at the same time, there's like some really good defensive first baseman. So, yeah, that just had better years than he had defensively. So, again, nothing that really struck me as, like, you know, there were, like, obvious snubs or obvious what-are-we-doing type nominations or anything like that in terms of Braves guys. So, you know, like I said, I think they have chances. I don't think either one are are favorites. And if, you know, if Ender Enciarte hadn't missed so much time, you know, he probably would have been a finalist for center field. But, you know, obviously he missed a ton of time, so that was never going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on all of that. Um, you know, it is noteworthy that Marcakis, having won the award last year, was not nominated. He should not have been nominated as a finalist, but, uh, you know, worth pointing out that he wasn't. Um, Acuna, Ashley said this, uh, I believe Grant McCauley, and I, I was responding to Grant McCauley, a good friend of the program, about this, but I do think if you stuck Ronald Acuna in a corner permanently down the line, he could be a gold glove level player. Um, yep. in, in center, I don't really see it as being a likelihood, but if he just was playing right field every day, I think that might be uh, something that we talk about in the future with Ronnie, but obviously he bounced around so much this year that no surprises um, in terms of him not being a finalist. Um, just real quickly, Ozzie Albies does not lead in any of the uh, defensive metrics at second base. He's you know in the top three in all of them alongside Colton Wong and Adam Frazier, who are the other finalists. Wong has a big lead in defensive runs saved. I think you said this, you said this a second ago, but Donaldson leads the league in uh, DRS at third base, but Arenado has a massive lead in UZR, um, which is another thing that people obviously want to use for this. And the overall defensive metrics, like Arenado, plus the reputation, you know, Gold Glove is often reputation based, and Arenado is still very good, so it's not like he wouldn't be deserving. But if I was picking, I would certainly pick Wong and Arenado to actually win and also to deserve to win. So there you go. The only thing will, actually, the only thing that will actually bother me is if Rendon wins at third base. Yeah, that, he's there. He's yeah, he's pretty pretty clearly third. He's fine, uh, but like he's I was not almost a, a little surprised that Machado didn't get the third the third nod. I mean, like the numbers of where it makes sense, but at the same time, like it was just kind of a little bit surprising, just based on like Gold Gloves are so reputation based that you know, I mean, Machado's you know a good <laughs> a good third baseman. But I guess he had to move over a bit, and you know they did some strange things down down in San Diego. Plus, that was kind of a team that's not particularly great. So, yeah, you know. that was probably a lot of it for uh, Machado. He also played some shortstop. Like he, played yeah, that's three, all. Saying. They had to move him around because Tatis yeah, got hurt. He played three hundred innings at shortstop out of the thirteen hundred innings that he played. So, not an overwhelming amount, but when compared to the other guys who were just obviously just pure third baseman, that might have come into play a little bit too. So, I'm with you. No surprises, and that's our Gold Glove talk for now. Uh, other things that happened this week, uh, Donaldson won the Sporting News Comeback Player of the Year Award. Sporting News does awards and have been doing them for a long time. They are not the you know famous, overwhelming BBWAA awards. These are kind of secondary in nature, but Sporting News has been around forever. And uh, Donaldson, after only playing 53 games uh, in, the, in the previous season, winning the award is not a surprise. He was obviously really, really good this year, played essentially the entire season, played more than anybody thought he was going to play. <laughs> Honestly, he was really durable and productive. So 
I was not surprised by this, nor was I uh, in disagreement. He obviously, I think for me, pretty clearly deserved to win comeback player of the week, comeback player of the year. So uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, like it's that's one of the awards that I'm just not super cognizant of, like who are realistic candidates for. But he <laughs> yeah, makes a really, but but he, you know, he makes a really good case for, you know, that had missed a bunch of time with injury. Like it was an open question as to like what kind of player he was going to be and how much he was going to be able to play this year. And he played a ton. He played in front of the vast majority of the season. He played really well. So it's again, makes a lot of sense. And I, I do want to say, can we please stop shouting at Jason Foster and the sporting news guys for like how the results of these are? Cause like they just like tally the votes of like players and executives. Yeah, they and did stuff. not actually like, vote on yeah, this. That, that's, yeah, that's, that's important. Yeah, to yeah, point I mean, I, mean like, I, I do love myself, love me some Jason Foster, but more importantly, like this isn't like him and his staff, like, like getting in a room and deciding who's, who's going to make, who's going to win these things. You know, they're, they get, they just count the votes and kind of, you and know, that is, that is how some of these are. I mean, it's yeah. actually good that, that you pointed that out because some of these, you know, publication awards are actually voted on by the publication. Sporting news. is not one. They actually go out and tabulate these from other people. It's not, it's not their staff picks in the way that some of these might be. So yeah. Like the MLB radio, you know, division, division predictions that were posted uh, yes. ad nauseum. World for famous. And world, uh, world famous sports, social media famous, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. So, it's actually, it's actually a good bridge to talk about the next one, and that is that Brian Snicker won Manager of the Year for the second straight year for Sporting News. Again, this is not the Manager of the Year that is the one that goes on Baseball Reference, the the Baseball Writers Association one. That'll be voted on. I guess it's already been voted on. But that'll be announced later. But Snicker, two years in a row, you know, we'll save the takes for later if he ends up being the Manager of the Year and the one that actually counts. Um, I would not vote for him, but I also understand it because the Braves exceed expectations, and that is usually the easiest way for managers to be recognized in this kind of award. Really, any kind of coaching and manager of the year award across every sport. Same in the, same in the NBA, same in the, in the NFL a lot. It's basically, with some exceptions, the award for manager whose team exceeds expectations. And that is what happened with the Braves this year. They won you know, 15 games more. No, I mean, not 15 games. 12, 15 games, something like that. 10 to 15 games more than the projection systems actually had them winning. So that's an easy way for that to happen. And Sticker is well-regarded. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit surprised. I, I guess I didn't look into how close these were. But, I mean, there were guys like Mike Schilt who, like, I can't stand strategically as a manager either. Oh, but, he, you know, he, was, he was so bad in the playoffs. Oh yeah, he was gosh. really – he was like – yeah, it was like performance art. But, you know, that that's also a team that kind of had to come back and, you know, win their division in a kind of a spectacular sort of way. You know, that's, uh, you know Dave Roberts and Dave Martinez are guys who also like – like, you know, the Martinez has the obviously the Nationals in the World Series now. And, you know, Dave Roberts is you know, like perennially just kind of has his team as just one of the best in the National League. So I was a little bit surprised only because but I had seen how I didn't know what the exactly what the margins were. But Snicker, you know, for, for this particular award isn't like a crazy pick or anything. There wasn't a slam dunk pick in terms of that for me. So, you know, it would have been like crazy feels like Mickey Calloway or something like that. But beyond that, like <laughs> yeah. it's not, you know. You know, one of these guys that were like, you know, had their, you know, were halfway out the door when the season ended. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I was, I'm not exactly sure how close it was. And I imagine this year, like in terms of the actual BBWAA awards like that, that it's going to be relatively close and, you know, have the usual regional biases when yeah. there's like a clear candidate. I think, um, you know, people were taking some straw polls of manager of the year stuff. Craig Council gets mentioned a lot. And that stuff as well. Mike Schilt, like you said, with the Cardinals, Snicker will be in the mix. He'll definitely finish top five. I'm not sure if he's going to win, but he'll be up there. Oh, yeah, he'll be top five for sure. Um, so, yeah, he'll be in the mix. And, you know, listen, I'm not outraged by this. You know, 
our thoughts are well documented on his tactical stuff, but the clubhouse stuff also matters. And the team, again, performed much better than I thought they were going to perform. And the manager gets some credit for that. So there you go. Um, that's it for that, unless you have more, Eric. And I wanted to ask you, kind of open-ended, before we get to the bullpen stuff, um, the Arizona Fall League exists, and I am certainly someone who is not paying super close attention to that. Um, and because you are the expert on this podcast, I want to open it up to you. Obviously, Road to Atlanta also happens, but you guys haven't recorded in a little bit. Arizona Fall League is a thing. So please uh, share your top-line thoughts, anything that's important for people, for Braves fans to know about the Arizona Fall League, because I have paid closer attention in the past. This year, it kind of just slipped by me, honestly. Well, I mean, this wasn't up a year where there was a lot of like top big prospects that were in the Arizona Fall that's, League. That's so, probably why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a, a, a tougher year to follow along with than in previous years when you have like you know like top twenty five prospects that are like you know creeping in for at least from the Braves anyway. There are there were definitely some good prospects in the Arizona Fall League, and there was some good baseball being played down there. But it wasn't it wasn't really the same thing. Um, and I also apologize to the listeners for Road to Atlanta. It's been kind of a weird since the minor league season, and I have. You know, a couple a couple of the guys, you know, Garav and Matt, kind of having to do a bunch of work stuff, and their schedules have kind of become more difficult. In Wait, terms Eric, of just, we only we have other jobs. I know, I know, it's crazy that we have you know other things that we have to do, and once the baseball season ends, we kind of have to get caught up and do real life type things. And Garrett's actually traveling; he's going to France, I think. Like, you know, going to France like the beginning of next week, and he's As one kind does. of. Yeah, well, he, he every off season he like he was in Europe for like a month and a half last off season too. So sure, you know he likes he he likes to travel. Uh, he's had to do his own work stuff too because if he's working, then he can save up to go on these trips and do all that other stuff. So you know it's just been a little bit trickier scheduling wise. I'm, I am quite certain we're going to record, but it's also been helpful that we haven't had a ton to talk about uh, in terms of the Arizona Fall League. You know the, the Braves sent sent some guys, um, notably the one that was the one that really needed to have a good Arizona Fall League. Really, really didn't. Uh, and that was Grayson Janista. You know, he's a, one of those, you know, second round pick was supposed to be one of those like impact outfield bats that was really supposed to be able to hit coming out of college and did not hit well this year at all. Um, and in the Arizona Fall League, he posted, I believe, a sub 600 OPS uh, and did not play in the last week at all. Or not actually didn't play, didn't play the all the last two weeks. Uh, I'm not sure if there was an injury there or not, but you know, it's a, his line isn't so dissimilar from what he did this season to make me think that maybe they just didn't play him because he wasn't he just wasn't playing particularly well. Um, Justin Dean, I was kind of hoping was going to do a little bit better. Uh, didn't play a ton, but you know, looked a little bit better towards the end of the end of the season. The the two big guys that did perform really well were Trey Harris, is a guy that we've really liked over the course of this season and and performed well in the Arizona Fall League. You know, posted roughly an 800 OPS, you know, hit for some power, actually stole a couple bases too. you know, missed a little bit of time uh, with like, a, I think a minor injury that kind of those last, you know, over the last few games kind of messed him up a little bit. Um, and Brad Roney, who's a guy who is a relief prospect that had missed a ton of time over the last couple of years, but has one of the more live, exciting arms in terms of pure arm talent uh, in the minor leagues for the, uh, in terms of amongst relievers, but also has really struggled with command and he looked really good in the Arizona fall league, 16 strikeouts and in 11 innings of work, you know, just, you know, guys were betting zero 88 against him. You know, it's just kind of, he just looked really good. He's a guy that's probably going to be in line for a, a bullpen spot coming out of spring. Um, so it's exciting to him to see him do well, just cause coming back from injury, but the rest of the guys, you know, days Hernandez didn't look good. Neither did Connor Johnstone. And these are guys that were already kind of suspect uh, prospect in, in terms of their status to begin with. So, Again, not the most exciting year, but I was really happy to see Trey do well, uh, as well as Roney. Those are both guys who I really do hope end up turning into something, and it just seems like 
we I, we say this a lot about trades that he the guy can just hit, and if he can just hit, you can usually find a spot for him, and it's really nice for him to kind of show out the way he did. Yeah, so there you go. Um, if you want more, you can find it on on our uh, on our on our website of talkingchop.com. Talkingchop.com. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, Eric. Let's take a short break, and we will come back and talk about the bullpen in extensive fashion. So uh, hold on tight, everybody. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, uh, let's talk about the bullpen, Eric. Woo! It was uh, an adventure this season. Um, Up and down, up and down. Um, As sort of the top line here, I'm going to read the numbers off to you in terms of the rankings and how the bullpen ranked for the full season. Keep that in mind because the first half of the season was really bad. Um, They were 21st in baseball in reliever war, which is not horrific, but not very good. Bottom 10. They were 11th in the RA. That's pretty good. 15th in FIP, which is obviously just smack dab in the middle. And 15th in walk rate in terms of walks per nine. Now, after the trade deadline, when they overhauled the bullpen in a serious way, adding a bunch of quality relievers, they were ninth from that point forward in reliever war. They were 13th in the RA because they got a little, a little bit unlucky because they were fourth in FIP and second in walks per nine. So you can imagine that pre deadline, the numbers were really ugly because if they were that good after the deadline and they were still, you know, bottom, bottom half of the league in most categories for the full season. They were not very good um, in the early going. We spent a lot of time on this during the season. It was a point of contention, at least for me. I'll speak for myself on this one. It really bothered me that they opened that they opened the season with the bullpen that they had. Um, we were kind of proven right on that, I would say, <laughs> um, talking about how bad it might uh, how bad it might get. It is worth pointing out, and we'll get to this in a second. They did, that they had some unlucky stuff with AJ Minter in particular, who was supposed to be their number one reliever and was really bad. All this season. too. Uh, and Viz too, yeah. I mean, this guy, you know, was the weird thing with the. Uh, there was some buzz about the, you know, not being tendered, and then he was tendered, and you know, all this stuff. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth on on Viz. So, if you told me before the season started that both those guys were going to be either non-existent or terrible, that would have made it look even worse. So we were already low on the bullpen back in March, um, and then you throw those, you throw those two things in, and there's a reason why it was so bad for three for three months or so. But to their credit, they added some guys, and by the end, it was a pretty coherent group. Obviously, the, there was a moment in the playoffs where it did not go very well, but if we're being honest, the bullpen that made it to the playoffs was a pretty good bullpen. Um, yeah, so I agree. that's worth pointing out. That's my top-line thoughts. Anything you want to add before we, just, before we drill down in, into some players here? Because, you know, again, it, for me, in, in short, it was a ugly bullpen that became a pretty good one, and that's the best way I can describe that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting group just because we have kind of going into 2020. I mean, Shane Green's not going anywhere. He's going to get whatever his arbitration number is going to end up being. I, I, I question some of the projections for him. I don't. I think are a little bit high just because of how the Braves used him. Yeah, but, six yeah. and a half million was the MLB trade rumors projection, which raised some eyebrows. I'm with you. If it's that, if it's that money, they're gonna, they're going to tender it. I can't. I, I just can't imagine them not paying that money. I know that's real money, but for someone like Shane Green, that's not that much money. So he'll get it. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm not sure exactly kind of how those arbitration hearings are going to go because he just hasn't been used as the quote unquote the closer and how those numbers are calculated and how those. I, I could see his going to arbitration and having to be settled because I'm sure he's going to want, you know, the top line closer money. You know, the Braves are going to be like, we didn't use you for that. <laughs> and we're, we don't plan on it. We have someone that's, you know, in Mark Melanson that's going to be doing that and getting, getting $14 million in 2020. So it, but beyond that, they have a lot of guys that are either not with the organization or probably won't be with the organization next year. So my, my, just my initial thoughts are they have some guys who are interesting, but, there's also a bunch of guys who very likely won't be with the team if they aren't already gone already. So it seems like there's going to be actually a lot of holes that are need to be filled either internally or, you know, going to have to go out and really get some guys and get some quantity, not just get like one or two guys that you, you know, here's your seventh inning guy. Here's your eighth inning guy. Here's your ninth inning guy. It's nothing like that. It's like they need, they need arms. They need depth. Yeah. We're going to be talking about that quite a bit. I have a feeling when we get into like February and March, because like you said, there's gonna be a lot of turnover, um, you know, Melanson is going to be there. We'll, we'll come back to them. Uh, we'll come back to the guys who are sort of at the top of the heap later on. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you that a, t- a lot of turnover is probably going to be happening here. One thing I wanted to say real quickly before we get into actual individual players. This is kind of wild. Uh, Eric, I'm going to ask you this right now. Do you have stats in front of you at this moment? I do. I do. Okay. Um, I'm going to act like you don't. But uh, okay. it's funny. I was looking at this. Uh, I'm looking at Fangrass just for reference. Um, this is pretty jarring. So... The top three guys in innings out of the bullpen. This is reliever-only innings for the Braves this season. I know exactly where you're going. This is wild to me, too. Number, number one is Josh Tomlin, which is not a surprise. He was the long man, so long men usually have more innings. He pitched quite well, by the way. We'll come back to him in a, in a minute. Number two is Luke Jackson. No surprise either. He was in the bullpen all season long. He was the closer for a while. On the whole, you know, I've had some ups and downs, but Luke Jackson was a solid guy in the bullpen this season. Number three is Sean Newcomb, who was a starter for part of the season and then became a bullpen piece and an important one. But so that's your top three, a long man, Luke Jackson, and a guy who was a starter early in the season. Then (laughs) here, here are your four through eight. No, sorry. Here are your four through nine in innings pitched in, in order. Number four, Tuki Toussaint, who we haven't talked about really at all for a long time now because he was bad. And then went to AAA and wasn't great and wasn't really an option in the playoffs. You know, I'm I'm a well chronicled Tuki fan, but if you told me that Tuki finished fourth in the fourth in the, on the team in bullpen innings this year, I would not have believed you. That's number four. Number five, Anthony Swarzak, who arrived mid-season and disappeared late after after having the super hot start. Number six was Jacob Webb. That would have stunned me. <laughs> the ERA was really good for Jacob Webb. We'll come back to him in a second, but. I just don't remember him pitching that much. I know he was around for a while, but that was more than I thought he threw. Number seven was Jerry Blevins, who was on and off the team multiple times. And then A.J. Minter was eight, who hasn't pitched in a long time and was terrible when he pitched. Number nine was Chad Sabatka, who was terrible. So, one through nine, I would tell you there is one, one, okay, 
I'll say two because if we'll, if, if we'll, we'll trade Sean Newcomb like a, like, a, like a reliever, even though that's not necessarily given. We talked about this last week on the podcast that Sean Newcomb is going to try to start in spring training again. But even if we count him here, there are two what I would call safely quality relievers on the on that nine man list. It's Luke Jackson, which is kind of funny because of all the heat that he took this year, and Sean Newcomb. Josh Tomlin's in a different category in some ways. I know he he was he pitched well this year, but he's definitely someone who's a low ceiling player. Everybody else in that top nine in terms of innings was either hurt or bad, or Jacob Webb, who was actually not bad, but was really lucky if you look at, if you look at the peripherals. So I, I'm just kind of I'm not even sure what, what, what my point is here, other than the fact that it's really jarring to look at the season long numbers for this bullpen and realize how the innings got covered from start to finish. Well, yeah, I mean, they were just, it was a really bad group for two thirds of the season. You know what I mean? Like, that's the yes, biggest. And, and, you know, like, and like Tukey, you know, the amount of innings he had, it, that's not as crazy, except when you factor in the fact that he had like four games where he had to like come in in the second inning to bail out guys like Sean Newcomb, who couldn't cover a start out of the second inning, and he had to pick six or seven innings. Like, he, like, Tukey only appeared in 23 games, and a couple of those games were, you know, where he had to go five innings and was, okay in those appearances but was also bad in other ones and you know his walk rate jumped way back up again and you're the, of the group that you have right now that's of that top nine or so i mean how many of those can we realistically think are going to come back and be even in the bullpen at all yeah that's what so, i mean i mean it's basically yeah, it's the only wild. guy that i would project There's a lot of turnover yeah the only guy that you could that you could project with any level of certainty for 2020 is luke jackson honestly yeah. because sean newcomb i think is going to be in the bullpen but you know, it's been reported now by Bowman. We talked about this last week, but they're at least going to let him start, and we'll see if that happens. I would still bet on him being in the bullpen, but Jackson is the only guy. I, I guess Tomlin might just be safe in that in to project in that um, in that role in that same role, basically in that long man role. So maybe he'll be around too. But Jackson's the only you know late inning reliever that you would project to definitely be there out of the top nine guys in innings for a full season. It's just crazy, honestly. It blew me away. Looking yeah. at it. <laughs> I mean, like, they're, look, they're they're really having to hope that like a guy like AJ Minter bounces back with like a real with a real spring training and like an off season and all that other stuff. Like, you know, he turns back into the guy that we really liked, uh, as opposed to the guy that walked seven batters per nine and couldn't get anyone out for a while. You know, I mean, a lot of this is a confidence game, and a lot of this is just kind of uh, getting into the getting getting right, but. Th- they have a couple like you know, look Shane Green and Mark Melanson. I have no problems with, and those are guys that don't have a ton of high inning numbers for with the Braves simply because they were like tr- trade deadline ac- acquisitions. But you know, Chris Martin coming back is not a, like, and that's down at number thirteen. We liked him too, but there's no guarantee he'll be back because he's a free agent. And like, there's like multiple guys on this list that aren't even with the organization anymore. <laughs> so like, it's 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 kind of wild when you look at it that they got they covered. <laughs> surprisingly they covered innings out of the bullpen a lot of them were not good and the guy, some of the guys that were good you know there's no necessarily guarantee they will be back and or will be as good as they were this year you know that there's a lot of work to be done to, to get this bullpen the way it needs to be and you know if if we if they break spring training and they haven't added you know some significant depth you know a lot of people, and probably us included, are going to be like, "What are we doing? This is the, this is a very clear area where like not, they have some pieces that are decent in the bullpen, but they're going to have to cover more innings and get some guys who, like at the very least, are average, you know, as opposed to just being actively bad. Yeah. It's 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 going to be bizarre. I mean, like, 
I mean, Shane Carl, who was ran to death in the first half of last season, he pitched 9.1 innings this season. And, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of wild. Like, and, and you kind of look down at some of these other names. I mean, <laughs> I saw Charlie Culberson's on this. That's I mean, Jer- Jeremy, Jeremy Walker, guys like uh, Jesse Biddle. I mean, there there were some moments that were not not great this season. Just for another reference point here, there were exactly three relievers on the Braves roster last season that um, were worth, if you go by war, uh, even a half a win or more. And they were Luke Jackson, Mark Melanson, and Chris Martin. That that is uh, kind of jarring, because after that you get you get into Jacob Webb at, at zero point two, Shane Green at zero point two, and then Newcomb at zero point one, and you know relief war it can be weird in some ways. I'm, I'm I will definitely it, grant you that. It's very volatile, but sure. still, it's to go through a full season and only have three guys worth even a half of a win, and only one guy worth more than point seven war for a ninety-seven win baseball team. <laughs> it's just like. Uh, it's kind of crazy, and it's you know, wild. as much as Luke Jackson got so much heat, we defended him on this podcast quite a bit. Luke Jackson, by basically any measure of of overall value to a franchise, you know, Fangraphs, Baseball Reference, etc., was pretty easily the number one in terms of valuable relievers on this team last year. So, granted, that about a lot of that's innings because he just pitched a lot, but still, he was he was good. Um, so we'll come back to him, of course. But yeah, how did he get a 1.2 WAR while having a BABIP of nearly 400? That's what I mean, like uh, because uh, yeah, because, well, WAR Fangraphs WAR definitely goes off of uh, stuff that's not necessarily ERA based. So I think that's probably a good good indication of what, what we were saying throughout the season that he was pretty unlucky all season long. Um, 386 BABIP is kind of hilarious. Like that's hilariously bad over 72 innings. That's not a, that's not that small of a sample size. Um, We'll, no. talk, we'll, talk, we'll talk about Luke later, but it was just, man, he, uh, there was a lot, there's a lot to say about Luke Jackson quickly, Eric, before we get into the guys who still matter a ton, um, I'm going to list, I'm going to list some guys for you and you can talk about any or none of these guys. If you'd like to, uh, Chad Sabaka, Dan Winkler, Wes Parsons, Grant Dayton, Jesse Biddle, Johnny Venters, who's been gone a long time and Darren O'Day who arrived late. Darren O'Day was very heavy paid last season. was on the playoff roster. And then the last guy here that I would, I will throw in this mix, even though he's better than these guys are, at least they were last year, um, is Jacob Webb. So this is what I call the sort of everybody else tier. Um, guys who were not either not high pedigree or kind of just, you know, in and out veterans. Obviously a couple of these guys were no longer in the organization by the end of the season, et cetera. Any thoughts on any of that list? Of you know, I think it's eight pitchers: Webb, Sarah, Webb, Sabaka, Winkler, Parsons, Dayton, Biddle, the great Johnny Venters, and Darren O'Day. So I do really like Jacob Webb because while his peripherals in a small sample were like not the best, I also think that his, I mean, based on what we saw out of him in the minor leagues, he's a guy that's going to strike out more guys than he did in the in the major leagues. And I think that he looked good when he was around. And I think that if he's completely, if he's healthy, which again, big if. You know, we're talking about relievers here. Uh, he's a guy that I actually like as a bullpen piece. Beyond that, the other, I think it's what, seven names? Sabatka, Winkler, Parsons, Dayton, Biddle, Venters, and O'Day. I don't, the only one that has a chance is Chad Sobotka, and that's if he can, you know, really convince people that he can, I think he'll be in the organization. I am you know, I am so out on Chad Sabatka. I, well, I, no, I, 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 I feel, I feel I bad, it. too. Like, I feel like it's probably just too visceral 
on my end. I don't know why he terrifies me so much, but he really does. He terrifies me. Well, look, he's a guy that had parlayed probably a five-month hot stretch last season in the minor leagues into a stint in the major leagues where he looked he looked he looked good. Yeah, he did. He did. But he looked like the same guy that we saw in the minor leagues last, this past season that he looked like the rest of his minor league career, which is a guy that threw really hard. You you could dream on him, but he also got hit hard, which is you know not necessarily the best sign for a guy who has velocity. Because if you're not fooling him with that, you know you, <laughs> I'm not sure what else you're supposed to be able to do by now because he's been in the minor leagues for a long time. You know between hit between the him being that guy and the fact that you know the Braves are going to have to like examine what they're going to be like who who they're going to be the righties and lefties in their bullpen. I don't think. Any of these guys, of those seven guys, are going to be, well, and several of them are already gone, are going to be in the Braves' bullpen in 2020. Sabatka, that we've already talked about, Winkler's already gone. He got traded in the Melanson deal. Parsons went, got DFA'd and went to the Rockies. Uh, Dayton has not demonstrated the ability to pitch more than 10 innings in the season for the last two years now. You know, Biddle's already gone. He went to Seattle and was bad there, too. Venters is, you know, understandably, you know, after his arm had to be rebuilt multiple times, you know, he's done. And then O'Day looked pretty good for when when he was with the Braves, but it took, you know, two years to get there, and he's going to be a free agent. So if if he comes back, you know, it's probably going to have to be at a rate that's not going to be crazy expensive, and there might be a team out there that pays him enough to, you know, retain his services, you know, and if I'm the Braves, I'm not sure if I want to retain his services based on like six innings of pitching that he did in the in the, in the 2019 season, based on what he might want. Of those eight names, of which significant innings were required of, Jacob Webb's the only guy that I would give. I would be like right now, like I want to give him a shot at a bullpen spot. Yeah, I. Uh, which is that's a lot of guys to just. It's not a lot have of guys. I mean, and, and granted, I did I did that on purpose to kind of put all the guys who. I put them in the, in the everybody else tier for a reason. I am with you that Webb is by far the most intriguing of those pieces. Uh, people like Grant Dayton. I've never been sold. You've seen him more than I have, to be fair. Um, but he's the only other guy that I could even maybe, I don't know. It's a weird name. He just was around. Um, at least he would have had a role, like a specific role. Sabaka terrifies me. So I would. I guess, I guess you're right to put him second. Um, but Webb is the only guy that really... O'Day would be fine. I mean, O'Day can pitch. I I think O'Day can still be effective. I just don't think he'll be back. If he is, it's fine. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not reporting yeah. that by any means. It's just he's a free agent and a veteran, and he'll be in some demand. I would imagine if he can prove to be healthy. So, yeah, um, I'm with you. We can move on from there. Now, uh, my second my second little tier that I put together here um, has three names in it, and they're kind of the hybrid guys who, at least from this year, who are not. You know, one of them is Josh Tomlin, who's not really a starter at this point in time, but certainly someone who has a specific role as a long man and is not going to be used in super high leverage situations because of his stuff. And then you have Tukey and you have Sean Newcomb. Um, I would also, just as an addendum, you could, you, if you wanted to include Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright in, on this list, you could because they've been in the bullpen before. I'm not sure that's going to be the plan for them, but. If I was to ask you, I guess those are those are, those are five names, but there's definitely three that were in the bullpen this year. Are they going to be in similar roles next year? And if they are, and particularly in the case of Wright and Wilson, does that make sense for them? Like, how do you feel about this group of guys who were sort of hybrids that they could start in in theory, but for now they're not really ready to be in the 
major league rotation for the Braves if they're trying to win the World Series next year, which they clearly will be trying to do. So uh, how do you feel about, about those uh, you know three to five guys? Uh, well, I guess my concern with in Tomlin's case, who's the guy that I have the most confidence in, he's a free agent too. So yes, it's he is. like so and 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 was very competent in a long man role, right? So if that's the case, he only made a million dollars last year. You know, he could easily, you know, get a two million dollar contract from somebody. I don't know if I think be, he will. I mean, the yeah. fact that he was so effective this year, I think he will get more money. I don't I don't know how much more money. But I think he was, you know, he's not sexy at all, which is that kind no. of works. That kind of works in the Braves' favor if they want to retain him. That you know, I can't imagine him starting for somebody right now as a primary option. Maybe like you get an injury and he's their fifth starter somewhere. But other than that, I think he's kind of just in the role he's going to be in. But you're right to point that out, and I, and I should have said that too. That he's going to be a free agent and he's not a lock to be back. No, and then we have Newcomb who will be back. I, I do feel very confident that he'll be back. Now, what his role is going to be, again. Do you give him another chance to start? Because you know the, your the track record there's a little bit iffy. You know he, he we've definitely seen good Sean Newcomb. We've also seen really bad Sean Newcomb, both in the bullpen and in, as a starter for that matter. So how much of how much responsibility are you willing to give him coming out of spring training? Uh, and a lot of these decisions are going to be more readily apparent once like things like you know whether or not Julio's option gets ex- exercised, what other moves the Braves mo- make. I think the guy who's most likely to be moved and or not make an appearance at all in the bullpen is Tukey. And that's really hard for me to say because he's a guy who has works really hard, has this amazing stuff, but just has not been able to demonstrate that he can consistently command the strike zone. And he can consistently throw strikes when he has to. He walked a ton of guys this year. And it wasn't just in the major leagues. He was doing it in the minors, too. And he was getting hit hard in the majors and the minor leagues, too. I don't know if, like, the new baseball doesn't necessarily suit his game or he hasn't gotten used to it. I don't know if it's just something that's always going to be something that's going to be a battle for him. He'll be really good sometimes. He'll be really not. But he's the kind of guy that if you're in an offseason trade, in trade negotiations, his role on the major league roster is very iffy at best. And you might be able to find another team that is willing to they 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 can fix him or they want to bet on a guy with that kind of stuff. And if those type of lottery type lottery picket types, lottery ticket types are going to be appealing to a team where you're trying to make it a deal done, then Tukey might be a guy that allows you to free up a roster spot as well as get some real value for when you don't even know if he's going to have a role for him. Because the other guys you mentioned, Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson, have made better cases to get shots at starting spots than Tukey. And if that's the case, and you've seen Tukey get a lot of opportunities to be pitched out of the bullpen this year, I thought he was going to be lights out in a, in a, in a bullpen role. I think that, well, that and, his and stuff- he was the pre he was in the, he, he was at times earlier um, in his brief. It was yeah. very brief, but he looked good in that role at least once or twice before. But yeah, I mean, like in in, in twenty eighteen, like he pitched out of the bullpen like in the playoffs and looked good. Yep. And the, and this past year between Gwinnett and Atlanta guys were hitting close to 300 off of him and he walked what probably over 50 guys in close to 70 innings or something like that. Like honestly, you can't do it. His it's a small sample and I will not claim to have seen all this. You you definitely saw more of it than I did, but in 10 starts in Gwinnett this year, he had a 7.49 ERA. Like that is like jarringly terrible. He walked more than six per nine in Gwinnett. Like I I'm, I'm a big Tukey fan, but and that, and that's again that's a very small sample size, but that's really bad, man. Like you you can't look beyond that. Like it's not there. Like it happened. Um, he's obviously been electric in the past. He was electric in in Gwinnett 
2018, he had a sub, I think it was ERA was like, yeah, ERA was 1.43 in Gwinnett in, in 2018. So he dominated that level once before. Something's happened. Like he just can't find the strike zone. Like you were saying, like you were saying, the walk rate's up. And um, no matter how good your stuff is, there's a breaking point for your walk rate and he's above it right now so well and and again it's not just the walk rate i mean like if you the one thing that he's always done is limited contact i mean like his his entire you know minor league and even the first stint in the majors you know guys only hit 182 against him last year in the majors you know i mean and that was in you know 29 innings but you know that matches up kind of what he did in you know low 200s high ones in terms of at least at least when he was walking guys he wasn't getting hit hard in Gwinnett, he opposing batters were hitting 313 against him in the majors, it was 270. So not only is he walking guys, he's also giving up harder contact and more contact. That's a problem. You know what I mean? Like he's not yeah. striking out. He's not striking. He's not striking out guys as much as he used to. I mean, he struck out 163 batters in like a little over 130 innings last year. This past year, it was 80 innings and you know just a little bit over that in terms of strikeouts. Something's not right. And if that's what's going on, then. You know, if it's something they think they can easily fix, I feel like that the you know those adjustments would have already been made. And yeah, and right uh, now this hasn't happened. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying there. Like, I think if there's a guy on this list that may not pitch for the Braves next season, it's probably Tukey because of all the reasons that you listed. So, which really sucks, by the it way. It does. Like, we in love terms, him. in terms I mean, of overall talent. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll you'll struggle to find someone more more talent than Tukey. We've talked about it a ton on this podcast over the last you know three like three years. It, he's been in, he's been an incredibly tantalizing guy. But um, yeah, the combination of you know I just can't fa- I can't fathom him being a consideration to start at the beginning of next season. So if you cross that off the list in a way that you wouldn't necessarily cross off for Wright and Wilson, you know it has to be in the bullpen. And you know what he showed this year. Maybe he'd still be an option there, but it's not a given by any means. So, yeah. well, one thing to, to keep in mind with Tukey too is he had moved up and down a ton this season, yes, he did. and I and I don't want to like take that like that affects guys, you know, in terms of how they're used to me. Like sometimes when he would get called up to Atlanta, he would just sit in the bullpen and do nothing. Like they get they gave him the Luke Sims ex- like experience, and like <laughs> like and you can make fun of Lucas Sims all you want, but you know at the same time if you just like let a guy sit there and do nothing for ten days. You're asking a lot of a guy just, oh, yeah, by the way, go out there and just, you know, throw, you know, strike out a pair of guys and just, you know, pitch clean inning for us because, you know, we just happen to run out of relievers this game. You know, like Particularly it's just, when you're not used to that role. Like, obviously, he's no. been a starter his entire life. So, uh, you know, guys can transition into that role, but it is very different than what he would have been doing in the past. So, yeah, I'm glad you said that, too. Um, yeah, Tuki, hopefully that works out. Uh a guy in his, in his own tier, we referenced him a second ago, and that was A.J. Minter. Minter is still extremely cheap for next year, so they're going to give him every chance because yep. he's really talented. He's still pre-arb, like he's making no money. He's obviously had the ceiling of a very, very good reliever in the past, was the you know anointed closer for a little while. This year was just off the rails. Uh, he walked more than seven for nine. His ERA was more than seven as well. It just wasn't very good this year. We all saw that. Um, he was shut down, had the uh, had the injury stuff that could have hampered him clearly throughout the season. He missed spring training. That was important. And in the way that he was, I mean, I'm, I have not talked to AJ Minter about this, but the way that he was quoted a few times, the way he was reported on, it seemed like that was a big thing um, for sort of delaying his start. He was just never right, basically. So what do you make of Minter? Like, I'm not giving up on him, but this is a guy who had a, essentially a lost season He's still pretty young, and he's pretty talented, but expectations for 2020 have to be mixed in some way, I would imagine. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's a really good candidate for a bounce back season. I don't know if it's necessarily fair to expect him to be like your shutdown best reliever, but getting Luke Jackson, <laughs> this is so hysterical to say, but getting Luke Jackson level uh, <laughs> production out of him next season isn't a crazy notion to me, right? Like he just, he's still, stri- he, he struck out more guys per nine this year than he did last year. It just so happens that the walk rate, you know, when it goes from three to seven, yeah, that's bad. Uh, so, you know, he just needs to find the strike zone more. The stuff's still really live. Like, he watched the, the pitches. There's still a ton of movement on on, on the, the breaking stuff. He can still throw hard and, you know, and go reach back for more if he really needs to. You know, he's a guy that I think that can really get get some work done and be a guy who could – really make a move, make a name for himself next season. And look, we, we, we see this with relievers. Like they'll have a bad year, then they'll come back and have a good one. Like it's like, this isn't something that like, you're just kind of going against history on in a case of a reliever. It's not that weird for a guy to have a bad year followed by a good one. And with the kind of stuff he has and kind of what we've seen out of him and given what happened to him this year, I don't think that's a crazy thing to bet on. No, not at all. I think that he is intriguing in a lot of ways. You know, his first two seasons in the majors, it was only 76 innings, so that's about one full season of grueling uh, usage. He had an ERA of 3.18, a FIP of 2.37, uh, struck out you know more than 11 per nine with a walk rate sub three. Like that guy is maybe not elite, but a very good reliever. Um, and obviously, he was treated that way coming into 2019. So if he can find that again, then it's a no-brainer that he's probably your best or second best reliever. But realistically, you can't bank on that based on this year. It's definitely in the range of outcomes. Um, I think you're just hoping for like what you said, like someone you can use in your bullpen, have him be a guy you can use in the seventh inning and be effective. And if he's better than that, that's great. Um, but hope, I think for me, I'm hoping that he's your fourth best reliever. And that's that's fine. That'd be a huge upgrade on what he was this year. Relievers are super volatile, but he is still very young. Well, not, maybe not very young. He's still reasonably young and super talented and left-handed. All those things are good. Yep, all those things are really good. And considering how much of an outlier this season was versus like his entire other track record, you know, just I'm I'm willing to give him a pass on this season. It sucks that it happened, but you know, he's a guy that can, you know, he can strike, he can throw strikes. He he's not this guy. So I'm, you know, I'm again, I'm cautiously optimistic about him. Yep, I'm with you. Uh, moving on to another guy in his own category, and that's Luke Jackson, who we've talked around and through. We don't, we don't have to spend too much time on Luke, but um, MLB Trade Rumors projects a $1.9 million arbitration estimate for Luke Jackson. If that's the case, he'll be back, almost certainly. Um, Luke was effective this year, um, obviously polarizing. A lot of fans don't like Luke Jackson because it was an adventure at times, but my overarching takeaway is that you don't, you don't want him to be your best reliever. He was the team's closer because he was the best option on a team that didn't have a closer at that point in time. But if you project him into the role that he should be in, which is something like fourth or fifth best reliever, that is a guy that can really help you, I think, based on what he was this year. Like, he's been a hot and cold guy in the past. This was good Luke on the whole, and this is a guy who was, you know, DFA'd before. Like, he's not, like, a lock to be great. But if he can give you what he gave you this year, then you would sign up for that, obviously. Yeah, I mean, look, two million dollars to Luke Jackson is like that's a pretty easy decision. You know, he had a he had a pretty heavy workload this year, and he, he got extraordinarily unlucky. I mean, the the kinds of bad luck he got was like comical, like these little dribblers and flares and stuff that would drop. You know, against him were just kind of unbelievable. What would happen to him at times? And you know, if it, 
that's the kind of money and he's the kind of guy that you don't have to bet on as, and, and like bank on being really good. But that's kind of an easy bet to make just to have him on your roster because, you know, he put together a good year, good year last year, last year. He was reasonable in 2018 as well. Are there going to be times where he makes you want to pull your hair out? Absolutely. Cause he's yes. going to like walk, he's going to walk the first two batters. Then there's going to be like, he's going to get, get a, get a double play and there's going to be a runner at third. Then he's going to give up another base runner somehow and he'll get out of the inning or he might give up a run. Uh, and then there's also going to be those innings where, you know, things go really sideways but it's it's going to be an adventure but in terms of a guy who can also come in throw nine pitches and strike out three guys the, the Braves don't have another guy on that roster right now that can do that and and and, and Jackson can literally just throw nine sliders in a row he can strike out the side more and we and we're all gonna go where was this Luke Jackson two days ago yeah. when he gave up three runs but you I mean, know he got for, really unlucky on home runs too like he had a 26 yeah. percent home run fly ball rate like that's really high and unsustainably high he's not that not that much yeah. but home run issue for me and you know, still put together a good season despite that yeah i mean his era 3.84 is not sterling but it's just fine fip of 3.24 xfip of 2.52 his sierra if you like that metric was 2.80 like pretty much any advanced metric would tell you that he was a good pitcher this year um 13 k's per nine to lead the team you know like you said, he can be maddening at times, but I think if you if you take a step back uh, and don't act viscerally, you would recognize that pretty much every measure you have tells you that Luke was valuable this year and was a solid piece of the bullpen. I'm not sure you can project that moving forward because he was better this year than he was in the past, and relievers are volatile. So just like just like Mincer could, could be a bounce back candidate, Jackson could be that in in the other way because Jackson has had some rough moments in his career, but you know he he proved it this year that he's that he's capable of it even if that was the best season of his career so far. So I think my expectations would be a little bit lower than where they were in 2019, but for, for, for less than $2 million projected, you you have, you have to tender him and hope that he can repeat it. That's basically what you're looking for. Yep. Um. All right, that's enough on Luke. We, we talked about a number of times. Last thing here, and this is a five-man group of players that I'm calling the midseason additions, essentially. Uh, the first two are free agents that... I would be surprised if they were back, at least one of them, uh, and that's Swarzak and Blevins. These two guys are a little bit lower tier. Swarzak was very good when he first arrived, but um, cooled off considerably, um, let's just say that. Um, he's hitting a free agency, and then Blevins, certainly a left-handed reliever that they needed at times this year, but not someone who's going to blow you away. So any thoughts on those two guys whatsoever? Uh, I would be genuinely shocked if Swarzak was back. Same. Combined with, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he went from zero to dumpster fire in a hurry. Yes. Like he, like you couldn't actually bring him into a game which you thought he had a remote chance of winning towards the end of the season. He was that bad. You know, combined with like you know, like some of the off-field stuff where you know, like you know, his wife was espousing some less than not great and, and, and less than enlightened views on the world. And, you know, like you, you just don't you you just don't know kind of what's going on with him on the field and off the field. Like, is he really worth? giving a bullpen spot to when like you didn't really see much out of him other than like a month of good production. Uh, he also like, he had to miss a little bit of time. He, he had like shoulder fatigue, I think is what it was. And when he came back, he was really bad. So like, you know, is he actually healthy? Is he a guy that you have to work, you know, want to use in, in any real situation where you're not like down or up by eight runs. Uh, Blevins, like it wouldn't be crazy if he was back just because like as a lefty specialist where like, you bring him to get one lefty out, he won't be expensive. Like I wouldn't be like shocked if he got get, got another one year deal from the Braves or something like that. But hardly a lock either, um, especially when you have a guy like Dukum who might be the lefty that you bring in these well, days. And, and Minter. 
And Mentor, too. Well, assuming Mentor, yes. Assuming Mentor is... If he's alive. <laughs> yeah, if he is alive, happy, and healthy, then he's also another guy. You know, there's not much urgency with his. Uh, so the other three guys that are... Well, one guy in particular is an interesting case. Yeah, so I'm with you on Blevins and Swarzak for sure. The last three guys were the three guys who were the big-ticket acquisitions at the deadline. Um, Martin, Green, and Melanson... Green is projected at $6.5 million, like we said before, in arbitration. He's not an absolute and utter lock, but we both expect that he'll be tendered and, we'll be, and he'll be back. Uh, Melanson is locked in for, for $14 million. That's a lot of money, but he's also a guy who has proven to be an end-of-game pitcher. Maybe not, you know, closer is the people that... I, I don't care about that term necessarily, but he was using that role in the playoffs. Snicker clearly had him in the ninth inning. I think he'll start the season next year in that in that role again. So those two guys will be around. Uh, Martin is hitting for agency. He famously had the oblique issue in the playoffs. Did not throw a pitch in, in the series and threw things into chaos briefly. That was unfortunate. Um I saw. By the way, I saw. I saw some. I saw some Galaxy Brain takes about how um, he should have been prepared to pitch, and it was his fault that he got injured, which I really enjoyed. Um, what man? Did, did you not see that? No. There was I a. Didn't. I'm not going to use the name. There. There was a. There was a prominent sports radio host in the city of Atlanta that blamed Martin for uh, for being injured. Essentially. Oh, good God! Which I really enjoyed. I. I, I can already give you guesses who that I, was. I, but okay. I'll tell you offline. Um, okay. Okay. But regardless. Uh, Martin is a free agent. He would be nice to have, it'd be nice to have him back. Uh, and by the way, a couple of the listings that are out there have him hitting arbitration. That is not true. He is going. He is going to be a free agent. He had the weird thing where he went to Japan. Um, so his his contract stuff is not normal contract stuff. He was on a two year deal with Texas. He is going to be hitting free agency for sure. I've checked that twice now, despite the fact that it's listed in some weird ways. Um, so he's the one you have to talk about just being back. But I do want to ask you, like, about Green and Melanson, like, you know, projecting for 2020 on those two guys, they project to be your eighth and ninth inning guys, right? As of right now, like, they're, they're your two best relievers on paper. Yeah, and I mean, like, and you could interchangeably, look, who's the highest leverage versus the second highest leverage? Both those, I like both those those relievers. Yes. Those are, those are two two good relievers. However, you, you know, if Green ends up being better than Melanson, look, Melanson, Father Time's undefeated, and while Melanson looked at times he looked filthy this season for the Braves. Just being honest about it, I liked, I really liked what he did. Yep. Had a bad, obviously had a bad game in the playoffs, but for the most part was really, really good. And you know, I'm, 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 I'm fine with having both of them back. You know, in you know, if it's six million, six and a half million dollars for Green in arbitration, then you you pay that all day long. If it starts getting like really contentious or something like that, and it's like really big money, then like that's a different situation it, altogether it, it won't be though like i don't just, I, I just don't think that's going to happen i can't I, imagine I, it being more that i mean even if, even if that number is wrong what's it going to be eight million like that who cares it, it, it can't be like realistically that much more than no. that so like it won't be any like pro, it, like it's not like a 15 million dollar arbitration number or something like that but uh, martin is the, a much more interesting case because i think he played well enough this season to get a real payday as a reliever he may or may not be worth that um the biggest question is like, how severe was that oblique injury? Because you know he was obviously out for the rest of the, like he was basically ruled out for the rest of the playoffs once that injury happened. And if that's the case, you know like how bad was that injury? Is that something that's going to like have to require like real rehab in the off season? Is he going to be the same guy? One thing I really liked about Martin is that he was kind of like this weird reverse splits guy. He was really good against lefties, wasn't quite as good against righties, but again, doesn't make sense given that he was throws with his right hand. You know. I agree with the sentiment that Martin being hurt was one of the biggest reasons why the Braves lost the division. Now, the laws of physics and the basic understanding of anatomy tells you that just because a guy <laughs> just because a guy like 
got hurt doesn't mean that he didn't stretch before a game or wasn't prepared. I think he just got hurt because guys get hurt playing baseball or playing or yet. Oh, my God, I, I'm, I'm sorry for bringing that up to you, Cole. That was not that was not a disgusting. No, no, the podcast, I'm, 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 no, I'm actually like super happy that I was because it was incredible I, it, in the it, moment. It, someone sent it, someone sent it to me. Full disclosure, I do not follow that person, but um, it was sent to me, and I started to respond, and, and then I just decided, you know, anyone that would say that, I'm not going to even try. There's no reason look, to even try. Look, sports radio in Atlanta, and look, there's there are some good guys. Yes, in sports radio in Atlanta, Grant that, McCauley, that, friend of the program. I love Grant McCauley. Really smart guy is immersed constantly, wanting to know what's going on, and you know, curate like really inter- really great insights into the game of baseball. There are also guys who should not be talking about baseball whatsoever. I met if it's who I think it is, it's definitely this particular person shouldn't be, and it's just hysterical. I mean, look. Don't listen to sports radio guys if you're wanting uh, – be very discriminating, I guess is the best way I know how to describe <laughs> that's good, it. That's a good way and, to put it. Be discerning. Yeah, yeah, be, be discerning, discerning in where you get information from because just because a guy has a sports radio show doesn't mean they have any idea what they're talking about. And in this particular case, like I spent – like after game three, there were still sports radio hosts in this town. They were talking about why Ronald Acuna was the reason why the, why the <sighs> Braves were behind in the series or why they hadn't already swept the series. And it was – I mean, even after the series was over, you know, people were still dogging him. And this was even in the national, on like the national level, about Acuna cost them advancing to the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like, it's people are just some people just are lazy and just don't actually watch the game and have no interest in understanding what's going on. And in this particular case, Martin got hurt. That stinks. I don't think it's because he didn't do proper amounts of yoga before his no. his appearance. I think it's because he got hurt, and that stinks. The bigger question is whether or not the injury affects his value to the Braves specifically. I don't know what his free agent expe- like expectation would be because he's kind of like, you know, he comes back from Japan, gets the deal, pitches well. He's probably going to want to get a reasonable amount of money, but he's not going to be like a top flight free agent target either. So wouldn't be crazy if the Braves wanted him back because I think he pitched well and I liked him when he was here. But he's also going to be in demand as a guy who will probably not be crazy expensive but will also be productive. So those are the kinds of guys that get targeted in free agency and the relief market, as opposed to like, you know, the Chapmans who are going to like want crazy amounts of money. And, you know, you're with any reliever, you're playing with fire to begin with. So he's the guy, I'm just not sure if he's going to be back. And I, I genuinely, I think it's like 50, 50. So when he comes back. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what the interest level is on either side there. I think as a pitcher, he is a quality reliever. He's been that for the last two seasons. So if you can get him back at any reasonable number, I would definitely look into doing that. Um, also, Martin, also fun fact: I had someone ask me if they were the Braves were going to give Chris Martin the qualifying offer, which Whoa. made me laugh hysterically. Because if the contract, the total amount of the contract that Martin gets this off season is the amount of the one year qualifying offer that you have to give him, I would be shocked. Yeah, I mean, he isn't um, worth noting that he's not young. He's 33. He'll be 34 in June. I think so he gets a two-year deal. He's not He's not a young pup. Like, I know he hasn't been around and hasn't thrown a ton of innings in the major leagues, but he had sort of a, like like we said, sort of a uh, interesting journey to this point. But he's now had, he now has a two-season track record of being a good major league reliever. So there's value in that. And if you're Chris Martin, having not made a ton of money in your career, you would want to make as much as you can right now, and I totally understand that. Um but if you're the Braves, you, t- you certainly have to look into keeping him if you possibly can because I think he would help stabilize the bullpen in a lot of ways. So that's one to circle and come back to you know, Green and Melanson, like, like we both said. They're both good pitchers. Um, I do think the way that they were used late in the season, I think Snicker 
provided that you know everything stays the same, I would expect Melanson to be the quote-unquote closer. I don't care about that, but I think the Braves have operated like they have a closer in the sticker era. So I think we'll see Melanson get the first crack at the highest leverage ninth inning role. Um, but it doesn't really matter. Those two guys are the two best pitchers coming back for this bullpen. And then you get into the next group, for me anyway, at least as of right now, the, ne- the next group would be Sean Newcomb and Luke Jackson. So that that's your top four. Am I am I wrong here? That, that'd be my top four in terms of the re- of the returning yeah. relievers. That'd be my top four pretty clearly. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot of guys who aren't going to be around at all. So even if, you know, we can quibble as to what the rest of that list is, it's kind of a moot point because there's just guys who are just not going to be on the team anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's those four guys, and then you get into the guys who could crack that, like A.J. Minter. For instance, is the like number one guy who could be good enough to be an, a late inning guy for you, but everybody else, man, even the guys that we kind of like, like Jacob Webb, like you referenced before, or Josh Tomlin, if he comes back, those guys are not going to necessarily be early season high leverage options. I think it's basically the four guys I named. Maybe they sign somebody, and the only other guy I could possibly see in a high leverage role in April is AJ Minter. That's internal. Everybody else would have to be outside the organization. I, I would imagine. Yeah, unless again they like shifted Kyle Wright or yeah, something. Yeah, or, or uh, if Tuki just shows off like crazy. I mean, maybe I don't know. Other than that, but I'm with you. Like, I think that's not necessarily likely. So, and I, you know, I'm always on record as not wanting to use the young starters in the bullpen unless you, particularly in April. Like, I get it in September and October if you're trying to win, and those are your best options. I totally understand that, but I'm all for having Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, etc., starting games somewhere in April. Like, I don't. I'm not a big pigeonhole the guy into the bullpen kind of guy early in the season. So I don't know. Something to keep in mind. We'll we'll spend plenty of time on that though, as we talk about the roster looking ahead, but this is a bullpen review for the most part. And we did a pretty good job of that. I think Eric, any, any final thoughts other than the fact that there's a lot of turnover? Cause man, the more that we talk about this, the more that I look at it, it's a little scary. I have to say. Uh, Definitely really scary. I would not be surprised if the Braves, I mean, I think that the, in terms of the relief market, if they're getting a guy that is a name that we know, it's going to be via a trade just because after Aroldis Chapman, which I'm going to just go ahead and spoil it for everybody, the chances of the Braves signing Chapman to a deal when he's like a top 10 free agent period in this market nope. are basically zero. Also, they should be zero. I would never say uh, Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, but after that, it's like Will Harris and Will Smith as like your relief options, and those guys are going to get paid more than they absolutely should. Chris Martin, come on down. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> like yeah. I would definitely be paying Chris Martin, but if you're a guy that the the big acquisition for a reliever, if it happens, would be a trade. And again, that's going to be a tough market too because it's not like the Braves are the only team right now. They're going to be trying to fill relief spots because it's been kind of funny what's happened over the last couple seasons is that the game got shorter for store starters. You know, you you were expected to go five or six as opposed to like, you know, more than that. And you like had these teams like the Brewers who had these like dynamic bullpens that like carried the load for them. But now what's happened is like the relievers are so volatile because they've been used so much. And there's a lot of reasons why that's happened. You know, you you can have your conspiracy theories about the new baseball and all that other stuff too. It's that finding teams with like genuinely really good relief relief course is hard. You know what I mean? Like the Brewers bullpen, I mean, the Brewers bullpen isn't anywhere close to what it was last year. You know I mean? Josh Hader had a really good season, but you know, he also had his times where he looked really bad. And it's just a reminder that that's a really volatile commodity. And if the Braves are going to make real hay, they might be doing it with some under, like, you know, 
under the radar type guys were like, what they're really signing that guy. Okay. I guess. And you know, and Topless has tried to do that, you know, signing guys, you know, getting guys like Grant Dayton, you know, getting guys buying low on them, seeing if you can get value on them. And if they bridge can actually hit on a couple of guys, this, this group goes from having some decent names, but having a lot of turnover to actually being a goal, good bullpen. But right now it just seems like there's so much turnover. It's kind of hard to see how they're even going to cover innings right now, considering what their options are going to be and what the futures of a lot of the guys that they have coming up are going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's worth stressing it's early, obviously. There's going to be a lot of turnover. Oh, absolutely. It just seems like there's going to have to be so many names. There's going to be a lot of names. I mean, bullpens across baseball are always going to be volatile, but yeah, there's a lot of turnover that's going to be happening. Like, It's hard for me to get to five or six guys who I trust at the moment, and that is uh, interesting. We'll see. I mean, the, the, good, the good thing is, I'll say this, the, the good thing is, barring injury to guys who are already on the roster, the core you know, the top four is better than the top four was in, in April of last season. So oh, 100%, yeah. we, we, we went into the season last year to bring things full circle, you know, kind of dreading it and, you know, kind of shouting from the mountaintop about how bad the bullpen looked on paper. Um, going into 2020, it does not look as bad at the top, at least as it did last year. So that's a positive check mark. Even if they, even before they do anything else, I think the late innings look better than they did last year. So if you're looking for a bright spot, that's, that's it for me. Yeah, I agree. All right, Eric. Well, uh, that's plenty, I believe, on this bullpen review. We will definitely come back in the next week or two with uh, starters and then uh, the lineup review in some in some order, in some fashion. Um, I am, just as a programming note, I am unavailable a week from today, um, unless it's very, very late. So we'll figure that out. But the podcast will generally be Sunday nights. Uh, we've done it the last couple of weeks on Sunday nights. It might not be perfectly affixed to Sunday night during the off season because of just travel, things like that. But that's the plan moving forward. Um, first of all, thank you for joining us as always, but uh, Eric, please plug anything you got going on, anything happening on the site or in your life that you want to share. Yeah. I mean the big pro- off season project from the minor league sides for us is always going to be the prospect list. And that's kind of something we do a lot of like work starting now, you know, what guys think of, you know, think or not think of certain players and kind of getting that lined up, you know, whether it be scouts, whether it be, you know, team officials, players, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the thing we're doing behind the scenes. Right now what we're rolling out on the site are uh, individual player reviews for the the entire roster. Uh, Several names have been mentioned in this podcast have already been covered and are going to be covered. Over the next couple weeks, I imagine is how those are going to roll out. Uh, as my the annual tradition for these, uh, I seemingly sign up for all the dregs of the roster, uh, guys who aren't on the roster at all, or guys who shouldn't be or have been really bad. Uh, so that's been kind of fun, you know, relating, you know, re- writing about the guys who pitched six six innings this season and were bad for all six of them. So. You know, for the next couple of weeks, that's kind of what we're going to be rolling out on the site. Uh, in terms of minor league stuff, where Road to Atlanta is going to be coming back as soon as we can, just to make sure once they can get, actually get a number of people onto the podcast that makes sense, and we have some more to talk about and kind of get our thoughts together, whether that's going to be because it's been kind of a, it's kind of a weird state down in the minor leagues right now. Um, also, there's in the off season, I already have a couple my interviews lined up that we're going to be doing with some players, talking about prospects and things like that. But beyond that, just kind of keep an eye out for the site because there's going to be a lot of sort of retrospective and looking forward type stuff happening over the next month and a half or so as we lead into the winter meetings. Yep, it's all happening. Free agency begins after the World Series, and the World Series 
could be over in the next couple days. In fact, it will be over the next few days. We'll see how fast it's over based on the results tonight. We don't know at this point in time if we're recording. Astros, Astros are leading two to nothing in the third inning. We are all, we are famous for uh, talking about games as they happen and then they things flip on their heads. So now the Nationals are going to win seven to two. Um, no, I'm kidding. Yep. Yeah, my 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 favorite was people's reaction to. I had multiple people were like you know tagging us that you know like listening to Brad and Eric here. The Nationals beat the Dodgers on that Grand Slam from Howie Kendrick. <laughs> As it happened, Ugh. was one of the best, worst things they could have <laughs> that they've ever heard. Yeah, so, I mean, so it, actually got, do that just- it got very weird this week because the Astros were really bad as an organization. Uh, so that led people to be rooting they for the sure Nationals, were, um, which is bizarre. I, I understand it totally because of how ridiculous the Astros were again as an organization this week. If you missed that, re- go. I'm sure you can go read about it somewhere else. Um, but it was kind of crazy to see Braves fans rooting for the Nationals and also understanding why they were. It was just bizarre to me. Anyway, uh, we'll know more. I, I, in fact, our, our next podcast, we'll know who won the World Series. So we'll talk about it, I'm sure, for five minutes. And that'll be it. Yay. Uh, yay, baseball. All right, Eric. Thank you for joining me as always, my friend. Please subscribe to this podcast via the platform of your choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. If you can't find us at your podcast platform let me know i will try to get that fixed but if not there are plenty of available options to find the podcast tell a friend and we'll see everybody next week to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the phone? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.